0: You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. We call St Andrews the home of golf. It's the modern mecca of the game, and a pilgrimage to the hallowed links of the Old Coast brings tens of thousands of visitors every year to the Fife Coast. But its preeminence wasn't always so clear-cut. Though you can almost miss the old links of Musselburgh as you're travelling around Edinburgh, this small town was once known as the Cradle of Golf, and it produced some of the finest players who've ever lived. Five Open Champions came from Musselburgh, and you cannot consider the growth of the game without taking account of the influence of the Parks and Duns, to name just two of the famous families who helped pave the way for the multi-billion pound industry we know today. Mungo Park is the great-grandson of Old Willie Park, the first Open Champion in 1860, and the great-nephew of young Willie Park, who won the Claret Jug in 1887 and 1889. His grandfather, also Mungo, helped expand golf in South America, winning the first Argentine Open in 1905. He joins me on the From the Clubhouse podcast to consider the legacy of Musselburgh as we look back at a time when it ruled the golfing world. Mungo Park, welcome to the NCG podcast. Thank you very much. What an incredible family. Uh, You are part of uh, a family, a dynasty of golfing excellence, I think we can say. Um, Old Willie Park, young Willie Park, more Mungo Parks than we can care to mention. I mean, I I have this vision of you growing up being told the golfing deeds of excellence of your ancestors. I mean, um, just explain to me um, the legacy
1: of your family's history in golf. Well... Surprisingly, um, I wasn't really <laughs> told very much about the family. Uh, my dad was a GP and, and a scratch golfer and knew a bit about the family, but had never really done much research. Um, so it wasn't until I was about 45, 50, that I started taking any interest at all. And then I discovered that you know, my, grand, my grandfather, who I knew, uh Mungo uh was a, was no slouch as a golfer uh, I didn't really realize how good he was but um because he won he won the Argentine Open Championship three times including the first and as I began to dig through the family history I found not only our family history very interesting and 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 full of full of wrinkles and, um, exploits that no one had mentioned before. But I also found that there were huge numbers of other club makers in Musselburgh who also had fascinating histories and were in the vanguard of much of the export of, of the game to the rest of the world. So, so really we didn't, I mean, I, I used to, I used to, be taken out on the golf course by my dad and I used to caddy for him uh, as a as a young lad and it was it was probably one of the first things I rebelled against in my teenage years (laughs) so I'm not doing any more caddying Um, uh, but I came back to it and and have enjoyed golf since but most fascinatingly I think it's it's the social history that surrounds it
0: did you have this who do you think you are moment then, as you delved into the family's history in detail and found all these fascinating stories, not just um, in your own family, but as you said, you know, throughout the town, it must've been incredibly rewarding.
1: Yeah, no, it was, and, and still is actually. I, I'm Last year, I was talking to a guy in Musselburgh, good friend now, uh, and he's, he's interested in history. We met up at Luca's cafe, uh when we could meet and he produced something he said you might be interested in this i think you should have it and he knew the grandsons of archibald park who was old willie's older brother and what he produced was a photograph of archie park and and no one had ever known what he looked like i'd never seen a photograph of this guy uh, so, this was my great 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 uncle, I suppose, um, um, which he gave to me. And so, so we now have that in the, in the archive. So, there are still these little, sort of little nuggets to, to discover. It took me a long time, I mean, probably longer than is reasonable, really, but it did take me a while to untangle the mungos and the willies in the, in the family. <laughs> because basically, the, there's one of each in each generation. So the, the the two main early generations of golf. So Willie Senior and Mungo Senior were both Open Champion winners. Willie Junior was an Open cha- Champion winner, as was my grandfather, Mungo Junior, uh, and they were both sons of Willie Senior. So so I, as I described to other people, I said so the, the part family appears to have a. a poverty of imagination when it comes to christian names but and i got stuck with it as well which is which is interesting in england
0: (laughs) it must be an incredible feeling to uh step into the rna clubhouse and stand under the portrait of your great-grandfather and and understand understand what he has done for the modern game and we'll get on to the particulars of Musselboro and um, the circumstances surrounding the expansion of the town in 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 a minute or two but uh, to just stand there and and know that this is somebody that you're related to the first open championship winner uh, someone who was Pivotal really along with old Tom Morris in, in in developing the game and expanding it to the rest of the world I'm not I'm not sure I could put into words how that might feel.
1: Yeah, no, it, it feels good. I mean Everyone says you must be very proud. Well, well, I'm not because it wasn't me <laughs> I can't see, you know, it's nice to have pride in your family, but the justification for it is is uh, It's difficult if you're not a golfer yourself well, I mean, I'm not, you know, not a championship golfer, so. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a rich history and it's fascinating. And I suppose, of course, it's fascinating because this guy was my great-grandfather. We,
0: we really can't consider the Park family without looking at um, the place where they were born and lived in Musselburgh. Um, we're so used now um, to considering St Andrews as the preeminent place of golf, it's even referred to now, isn't it, as the home of golf? That we might have lost sight of some of the origins of the sport. And Musselburgh um, is known as the cradle of golf. I'm just, just try and explain to me, Mungo, how important a centre for the sport Musselburgh was in the in the sort of early 19th to late 19th century.
1: I think of it in terms of, of flow of the game, really. If you think that the home of, the first home of golf was Edinburgh and Leith. So Brunsfield links and Leith were clearly the earliest places to establish club golf. And I think, I think there's a differentiation to be made between club golf and what David Hamilton, the great St. Andrews historian, as described as cleek golf. Um, so cleek golf was played by gentlemen who got together, arranged their own matches, played their own rules. It was, it was friends playing a, a casual game of golf, generally the long game, but when, whenever they wanted to meet up. In 1744, that changed when, when the Honorable Company, as it became, first uh, submitted their request to the City Council for the Silver Club. And the condition of receiving the Silver Club was that there should be regulations to to rule the game. Uh, So the first rules were set up, and as a result, the first club was also set up. And that really started the flow of organized club golf pretty soon, well, certainly by the early 19th century it was becoming apparent that the city was growing it was becoming an intolerable place to play golf there needed to be a new location and and the clubs that had grown up in brunsfield and leith then all over the period of the 19th century moved to Musselburgh. and so what you get is is a huge concentration of the wealth um, because it was a, a, a rich man's game, funnelling through a fairly small nine-hole course, which was Musselburgh, But in the process, creating a, a fantastic intensity of invention, um, competition, the development of new materials, the development of club-making skills, the development of, of golf-playing skills and so you see Musselbrook really taking on that mantle as uh, I've got to be careful because I think St Andrews has has, um, has registered the, tra- the trademark home of golf so, but but I think for the time um, Musselbrook was the home of golf certainly one of the homes of golf uh, St Andrews by the mid 19th century certainly got its act together and was had a fairly powerful self-promotion machine um, it, under Hugh Lyon Playfair. It was it was developing itself as a resort that that was that was attractive to all, particularly the wealthy middle class of which there were many, uh, many and growing. Uh, and so so part of that was was what we would think of as as comms and marketing. There was a, there was a machine, and the press certainly fell into line on that. And, and I, I think if I'm being as impartial as I can be, um, I, think, I think the press privileged St. Andrews over, over Musselboro or indeed any other centre, um, possibly until North Berwick came along because North Berwick also had the same patrician clientele. I mean, the, 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 the aristocracy were selected for North Berwick.
0: Would Musselburgh? Do you think have seen itself as a kind of underdog town? It's in the shadow of Edinburgh, um, and then obviously as we get into the mid 19th century, particularly when there's this, um, as as you say in the press, there's this kind of face-off between the two towns of St Andrews and Musselburgh, and here are the here are the two golfing titans of the day fighting it out in challenge matches. Would there have been a little
1: bit of um, chippiness on on Musselburgh's part? Not at the time. I think, that, I think that came later. I think Musselburgh regarded itself as, well, it, it was surrounded by wealth. There were hugely wealthy, land, wealthy landowners. Um, the, the density of high-value, deep-pocket books, books around Musselburgh at the time, um, was probably greater than anywhere else in Scotland. And a lot of them played golf. Well, it was described variously, which is slightly confusing, as as a resort uh, for, for Edinburgh, so that you could get out there and enjoy the fresh air of Musselburgh rather than the sulphurous air of Edinburgh. How important would golf have been then, Mungo, to the economy
0: of Musselburgh? I mean, just just how prevalent was it in the town?
1: I think it was it was prevalent. It was. There was a lot of golf there. There had, I think, always been a lot of golf in Musselboro. It's, it, it's known as a golfing center before the main clubs moved there. Um, and I think it's, it's partly why they moved there. It was already established as a, a golfing ground. There were other things in force that, that drove the move to Musselboro. And I think there is a link between the racing set horse racing set and and the golfing set Uh, it's it's perhaps i think one of the things we've we've discovered recently is the perhaps rather galling debt that we we owe to a, a group of pretty disreputable young men um who as far as i can tell uh rocketed around the horse racing centers of scotland and to some extent of england as well and they were hunting hunting and horse racing set playing golf as well Uh, and and these characters some of these characters in are in the the great picture of the golfer many of them came from wealthy families Uh, remember this is this is a time when when most people of the upper uh, socioeconomic groups had some interest in either the East India Company or the West Indies. Um, and some of them were plantation and slave owners. But there was vast wealth. Um, and some of these fortunes were really considerable and they ran through them. Um, so there are, there are many recorded bankrupts among. The people that really kept the game alive. So for a for a short period, it, it was these these wealthy ne'er do wells who who kept the game alive, and we owe you know we owe them that.
0: Uh, yeah, I I kind of I love the way you danced around that there. I'll, I'll be slightly more blunt. I think um, it can be no surprise, can it, that so many golf courses are set. Um, between um, race courses, and the reason for that is betting, isn't it? I mean, the, Absolutely. This, the, the golf yeah. would have been a huge betting game, as obviously horse racing was, as these wealthy people got together and either played amongst themselves for money, or as became very prevalent, obviously, with um, with your great-grandfather and old Tom Morris, backed pro- professional golfers um, in, in sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, James Ogilvy Fairley was not only a great golfer and um, a backer particularly of Musselboro men but he was also a horse owner and horse breeder clearly he bet heavily on his own horses as did many of his friends and colleagues in in that set uh, it isn't, I think it is interesting the link between horse racing and, uh, and golf uh, because you do see an awful lot of golf courses associated with horse racing centres and I I don't think that's a surprise do do you think uh, Musselburgh became a victim of
0: its own success um, in the respect that you know you've got um, certainly by the 1860s I think you've got Brunsfield Edinburgh Burgess Golfing Society the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Royal Musselburgh Golf Club all trying to play on essentially a nine-hole
1: golf course well, yes, and, and other less formal golf clubs besides, so Zingari, the Merchants. Um, someone, someone has said that there were about, about 60 separate clubs who played on the Musselburgh Links. I haven't found all of those, but you know I've got, we've got a medal that my grandfather won playing for the North, North-esque medal, uh, well, North-esque golf club. they played on obviously Musselburgh links and I I think it did become a, a well it became a victim not only of its own success but and this is this is where the difference between St Andrews and Musselburgh is significant it didn't have the wholehearted support of its town council and there are many instances where the town council for example wanted to wanted to few, that is, let out for, for construction of, of housing, uh, parts of the course, and were resisted by, um, among others, the Royal Musselburgh Golf Club and, and the Honourable Company. St Andrews, on the other hand, supported their golf and recognised that it was part of their unique selling point and really drove it forward. Musselburgh also would have liked to extend its course to 18 holes. There were two, two schemes, well, two and a half schemes, um, but two main schemes, one to extend it onto the Pinky lands, which were over the road from the from the links and the other to extend it over the Esk onto Fisher links. Fisher is a sort of sister town of Musselbrook. By the time the town council got around to discussing it properly, it was too late because Pinky Land had been built on, and they feud it out, and developers had moved in, and it's it's there today. Um, and Fisherow had been encroached upon by housing as well. So so there was no opportunity there. St. Andrews, on the other hand, had huge tracts of land on which it could expand the game build several new courses and you know, that was happening well into the 20th century and, and the evidence is there that, that St Andrews is clearly the best place to be the home of golf
0: today. I'm looking at an 1893 ordnance survey map of Musselburgh Links and you can just see the expansion of industrial life. Um, picking up really right on the golf course the gasworks the uh, Absolutely. basically Rick, next door the oil works, mills yeah. that, are, that are there I mean it, it gets to a point where as you say it, it, it becomes very difficult to find new land um, and that I suppose that intransigence and and that reluctance is part of the reason the golf clubs start to move away and which dooms Musselburgh as the,
1: quote, cradle of golf. I think that's right. Um, and it, 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 it wasn't a, a foolish thing to do. You know, clearly, Musselburgh is a nine-hole course and it, and it had developed the game hugely by that time. I mean, it, it, it had really taken the game forward in, if you like, the, the infrastructure of golf, the club-making, the ball-making. The invention, the bulger, the offset putter, you know, all these things that came out of Musselboro. Um, and it had, it had really contributed forcefully to the development of the game from that point of view, but also socially. So all these clubs had built up memberships and um, become reasonably wealthy in their own right um, and could see no reason why they should still be playing. A little nine-hole course um, apart from its history and and eventually that wasn't enough uh, and so they yeah, as you say they moved to Cranham and Muirfield and and good for them. It's the
0: report. pivotal point then is the turning point of, of um, Mussolini's dominance if that's the right words the relocation of the Honourable Company to Muirfield so do you think 1892 is the point oh. where Musselburgh really starts to decline as a
1: golfing centre from there on? I think it, I think that's right, it does. Um, I think it starts to decline from 1892 because the money leaves town basically um, and the gentleman moved to Muirfield. Um, some of the golfers went with them. Um, I was looking through the minutes of the Honourable Company a while back and, and it turns out that one of One of my ancestors worked for them, (laughs) which I hadn't realised either. Uh, So, uh, they they employed uh, Bob Ferguson, the Open Champion winner, uh, three-time Open Champion winner, uh, as their clubmaster. They also employed Davy Park, who was the the youngest of the brothers, um, and they employed him as the clubmaster, I think, after Bob. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure, I may, may have that the wrong way round, but uh, they certainly, certainly he was one of the club servants. Uh.
0: The interesting thing for listeners who might not be aware of the story is that effectively in 1892, and this could be a podcast in itself, um, in 1892, when the Honourable Company uh, left to what was Muirfield as we, as we know it now, they took the Open Championship with them. Um, effectively Absolutely. and uh, Musselburgh that had obviously held the Open Championship in Rota with Prestwick and then St Andrews uh, suddenly no longer had the Open Championship anymore and, and I think at that point there is a realisation isn't there uh, when when uh, the Honourable Company make that decision that actually the, the town might be in trouble because there is there are efforts aren't there at that point to let well, um, up yeah. a counter competition almost, um, and That's in the end, a compromise is reached. But without, it, it shows you even in even in the late nineteenth century,
1: really, it shows you, doesn't it,
0: how important the Open Championship was becoming?
1: Oh, I think hugely. Um, it was it was a, a highly significant loss for the town when when the Honourable Company left. Uh, to be fair on the Honourable Company, it probably was theirs to take with them. Um, because they'd been one of the initial subscribers to the to the claret jug Um, and that that was the deal but it did undoubtedly do damage to Musselburgh the town Um, and from a historian's point of view what's what's interesting is that well in fact my great-uncle Willie junior was the person who opposed the, the leaving uh, or the loss of the Open Championship from Musselburgh and set up his his counter competition. So it was the Musselburgh Open Championship, um, which was played for for many years by uh, by professionals as as a sort of warm up event for the Open um, and was very successful, I think. Uh, but it but what's interesting is that by that time the relationship between golf professionals and the gentry, had changed to such a level that he was considered to be um, not out of order in, in making his complaint. He, you know, there may have been some, some grumbling into their beards, but uh, uh, it, it was not considered unreasonable that a man of his stature, uh, which he developed through golf, uh, should, should oppose the loss of this valuable event to his town. It's incredible, it isn't it,
0: important. that we lived through such a, uh, they, they lived through such a massive period of social change. Yeah. Um, and, and we obviously can see that in St. Andrews, in um, the relative rise in status that old Tom Morris has from effectively when he started in the 1840s to where he is, the grand old man of golf by the time yeah. of his death in, in, in 1908. I mean, they really did
1: live through a cultural revolution as well as an industrial one. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think, well, I, I, I watched Tommy's Honour recently and um, there is a lot in there that's, shall we say, apocryphal. Um, but one of the things that it brought out was the, the, the bridling of young Tommy, which I think is genuine, against the position of his father uh, vis-à-vis his, his backers and his, his patrons. Uh, he was clearly a, uh, a young firebrand who wanted to make his own his own name and his own way in the world, which which for a brief period he did uh, and I think that that also changed with with Willie. I think Willie jr. became became a businessman, became a wealthy man in the town, and actually moved into the middle class quite comfortably um, because of because of his golf. Both, both his golf play, but also his his commercial success. And we see the, um,
0: if uh, demise is not the right word, but we see the diminishing of Musselburgh as a, as a golfing centre quite quickly, actually, after 1892, mostly because a lot of the people who would have been employed in the town uh, in club making and bowl making emigrate effectively no, they go to the new world where yeah, golf really. is taking off in a, in, a, in a massive way and they kind of in, in the case of um the case of um, young willie for example and and others among the family and obviously among the great golf club makers and ball makers of the day they come back to musselboro only at the end really don't they they, they sort of come to yeah. retire but they leave the town to seek their golfing fortunes in the united states
1: yeah I mean we see this this uh, sort of constriction in the flow of golf passing through Musselburgh um, in in terms of you know of the clubs but what what that what the build-up of that intensity that, that development of the game in the town brought about was a great expansion in the population of trained golf-makers, trained ball-makers, people who knew about how to set courses out. And when it started to diminish in the early 1890s, um, capped off by the 1892 departure of the Honourable Company, these guys were early twenties, thirties, that sort of age, young families. They didn't have anywhere to sell their labour. Um, and and so, as had happened before, when they moved out from Leith to Musselburgh, people followed the money, and the money at that time was going either to North Berwick or abroad. And so, uh, and this was this was one of the one of the realizations that that really did surprise me. Uh, there was a, there was a patch of a couple of years when I was researching some of the club making families and and everyone I turned up in these families seemed to be the first professional in an area or to have done the first thing or to have invented something for the first time so there are a huge number of firsts that come from uh from Musselboro not only well the gutty is claimed as being first played played with uh, I think there's debate about that um, and probably no one will ever know, uh, but it, it's claimed by Musselburgh, it's claimed by St Andrews. But certainly, the the first tool for making holes was was invented and used at Musselburgh uh, in 1829, uh, and and the receipt for for buying it is um, is there. But these young young men had nowhere to go, and and so you see them. Departing for, well, first of all, Ireland. So, Musselboro men arguably were yeah, uh, were the first first professionals in Ireland. Um, John Gourley went over to lay out a course in the Curra. I think, in, well, I hope I'll get this right, 1858, I think, but certainly very early. Uh, and then the Day family went over, they, they lived just on the edge of the links um, Walter Dunn Day and and his son his confusingly named son Walter Dunn Day uh, and and three three other brothers all went over Um, Alexander Guthrie Day was the professional at uh, Royal Belfast Um, and and Walter went out to south africa so walter jr was the first professional in south africa he then moved up to rhodesia as it was then zimbabwe as it is now and was the first professional there Uh, there's another family the hoods who also exported their two of their sons um, well actually they they exported two of their sons as Blacksmiths um, who went out there in the gold rush of eighteen sixty one, and and one of them uh, carried on his his blacksmithing work. The other, David Hood, who was the brother of Tom Hood, um, who stayed in Musselburgh, became the first professional golfer, selling selling clubs as well as doing his blacksmithing work. In New Zealand, um, his nephew then came out. Another David. It does get confusing. This this say, same naming stuff, but uh, good fun for the historian. He came out and was successful in New Zealand, and then moved up to Japan. And he was the first person to teach the Japanese emperor we gave the game of golf. In fact, he was the only Westerner who could touch the person of the emperor without being killed uh without being executed for for the insult uh so and so he he designed uh ibaraki links and and built that um in the 1920s by that time
0: you you cannot understand um the growth of golf and um the expansion of the sport to to as we understand it today, without recognising
1: Musselburgh's place in it? I think you shouldn't. It's, it is surprising. I mean, I, I don't live in Musselburgh. I live down south. But it, it does surprise me that even in modern uh, books or articles, when sort of great centres of the game are listed, somehow Musselburgh just drops off the bottom. And, and you know, I don't say that in a, partisan or regretful way um, because of you know a partisan allegiance t- to the town it's just historically inaccurate <laughs> the town was clearly the major stepping stone after Leith and Brunsfield to the rest of the world to Europe to America particularly and it was in the va- in the vanguard of that emigration and and so to ignore it is just like sort of saying, well, the wars of the roses didn't happen. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make sense historically. And so, so I'm, I'm keen to just fill in some of the bits.